Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Red Letters Sermon Series, which looks at the words of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. So, in Luke 4, you have Jesus kind of just starting off his earthly ministry. Um, This would still be in his, what's popularly known as the Year of Popularity, uh, this was when he was just kind of coming on the scene, and uh, his um, basically uh, ministry headquarters were centered in Capernaum. And as he was there in Capernaum and uh, some of the surrounding areas of Galilee, he had begun doing uh, some of these miracles. Uh, we know about the marriage in Cana of Galilee uh, and some other things that uh, he did miracles at. And uh, it says that he was beginning to become well-known both as uh, a teacher and now as a healer and a work of miracles, casting out demons, all that kind of thing. But uh, he hadn't done any of these miracles yet in Galilee, or sorry, in Nazareth, rather. And Luke 4, verses 16 through 30, is when he comes back to Nazareth, having uh, kind of built up his ministry a little bit, having called some of his disciples, And so now he comes back to Nazareth, and he comes there on a Sabbath day. And uh, the first point of our message was a prophetic reading happening in verses 16 through 21. And it says this, and uh, when we were doing the sermon, um, we kind of went through Matthew 13 and Mark 6, which are the parallel passages to the Luke 4 passage. And in Matthew 13 it says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. Uh, Mark 6, 1 says, when he went out from thence, he came into his own country and his disciples follow him. And then in Luke 4, it says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had found, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And during these times, you'd have, uh, you know, maybe the priest or the Levite that was there uh, overseeing the activities of the synagogue uh, on the Sabbath day would give uh, the scroll of the passage of whatever was supposed to be read that day in the synagogue, and he'd give it to one of the men that were there, maybe a passing uh, teacher in this case, as Jesus was. And uh, that's exactly what happened on this day. Jesus was given the scroll uh, of Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And uh, what he read there um, in our Bible in Isaiah 61 in the King James says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Once Jesus had read this, it says in Luke 4, And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Uh, Normally, after you would read the scroll, then you would maybe say something. Maybe you would quote something that uh, maybe one of the Pharisees had written down, maybe something that would eventually be written down in the Talmud or in the, uh, I forget what the other uh, Pharisaical um, 
document was called. I think it starts with an M, but it's not Mizpah, it's something. Uh, but you would say something that maybe someone else wise had said, maybe even you'd have some of your own thoughts. But Jesus, once he read this scroll, just went and sat down. There was no sermon given, there wasn't anything. And so the people there in the synagogue at Nazareth were very confused. And it says there in the passage that the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They wondered what's going to happen next. Then it says, he says this, and he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And here you can see Jesus doing a couple of things. The first thing is that he verified the miracles that others had talked about. Uh, what had been maybe told to people in Nazareth from someone that had been at the marriage in Cana of Galilee. Maybe uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus had come back uh, from the marriage in Cana and had said, wow, Jesus turned the water into wine. Maybe some of the servants that were there said, yeah, it's true. Here's what happened. Maybe someone that had been in Capernaum and had heard uh, some of Jesus's great teachings had said, hey, wow, Jesus is an amazing teacher, but also he cast out this demon out of a man. Uh, but Jesus here is saying, because the passage says uh, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to um, you know, heal the broken or the brokenhearted, to bind up those, um, because of all of these miracles that are mentioned in Isaiah 61 and 2, or 61, 1 and 2, and because uh, it says the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, he says, literally God's Spirit is upon me, and I'm doing these miracles, and I'm preaching the good news. So we see first that Christ verified the miracles that others had talked about. But next, we also see that Christ came to preach the gospel, to heal, to deliver, and to free. I find it interesting not only what Christ uh, read from the verses, but also what he didn't read. Um, Isaiah 61 ends to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Uh, we see there the day of vengeance of our God, obviously, uh, prophesying and looking forward to when Christ returns, and uh, then he returns to rule and to reign and to bring justice on the earth once and for all. Uh, but when Jesus quotes the passage in Luke 4, he says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and then stops there. He doesn't include the phrase in Isaiah 61 and the day of vengeance of our God. And uh, I found that this goes right along with Christ's uh, mission and his ministry while he was here on earth. Uh, John 3.17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so first there was this prophetic reading that Jesus read from Isaiah 61, where he says, Hey, these miracles that, you heard, that you've heard about, they're true. Not only that, but I've come with a mission and a purpose to do all of these things uh, that the passage talked about that I've come to preach the gospel, to heal, to deliver, and to free. Uh, but not only do we see Jesus' prophetic reading, but we also see a proud response from the people of Nazareth. And this is in verse 22. Um, in the passage in Matthew 13, it says that they heard Jesus say these things insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? In Mark 6, it says, And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath the, this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and of Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Uh, and then in Luke 4, it says, And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? 
in Matthew 13, it says, uh, The carpenter's son, his mother called Mary, and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And that passage also ends in saying, And they were offended in him. Uh, Nazareth refused to hear the words and claims of Jesus for a few reasons. They heard what Jesus was claiming and purporting and saying, hey, I'm here to work these miracles and the Holy Spirit is on me. But they were offended at him. They said, no, we don't believe this. And I believe it was for a few reasons. The first reason would be familiarity and that familiarity with Jesus and who he was. They'd grown up with him. For 29 years, Jesus had been in Nazareth. Of course, there was a short amount of time when he was in Egypt as well. And then obviously any trips that would have been taken down to Jerusalem uh, for the different feasts and stuff that would happen at the temple there. Uh, But these people were very familiar with Jesus. Um, I've heard uh, from some different Uh, people and in doing some research uh, Nazareth would have ranged in from anywhere uh, from 100 people to 500 people so a very very small town the uh, town that I'm in right now a little bit smaller uh, but has about 22,000 people to 24,000 people uh, which compared to Nazareth is just a raging metropolis and uh, so because of the familiarity that these people had with Jesus they said oh, there's no way that this person that we're so used to could do anything great. There's no way that this Jesus is this great healer and this great miracle worker that we're hearing about from other people. Uh, Secondly, I believe that Nazareth um, refused to hear the words and claims of Jesus because of Jesus's family. And Jesus's own uh, family didn't believe in him. They didn't follow him. Uh, We read that in a couple different passages. Uh, that we'll look at later. Uh, but Jesus' family didn't believe and follow Jesus. And then lastly, we see there mentioned several times, they say, isn't this the carpenter's son or isn't this Joseph's son? And there they reference his father. So familiarity, his family, and his father. And uh, there have been a lot of people that have speculated due to uh, the absence of Joseph in everything but the Christmas story, uh, but the fact that he's brought up here in these, in these passages And when you look at the cross, when Jesus tells John, hey, you're going to take care of Mary now. Basically, she's your mother now. Take care of her. Uh, That it's almost as if Joseph is no longer uh, in the scene. And obviously, knowing the sanctity of marriage, especially back in those days to the Jews, uh, a lot of people have assumed that possibly Joseph might have passed away. And as such, they would think, okay, well, if Jesus couldn't heal his own father, Can he really heal anyone else? And then in thinking about uh, maybe some of the ways in which we uh, as people today can do this, obviously we don't have Jesus's uh, half-brothers and sisters here with us. We we didn't grow up with Jesus quite literally. Uh, But some ways that we can also refuse to hear the words and claims of Jesus is in a familiarity with him. Uh, that often we can make our relationship with God a tradition or a hobby rather than something real or changing, that we're so used to having Jesus around, if you will. We're so used to having our church life, and we're so used to all of these things that we don't expect anything great from Jesus. It's just, oh yeah, I just do the church thing, uh, maybe Sunday and Thursday or Sunday and Wednesday. Uh, I just do my church thing but it doesn't really make much of a difference either in my life or I don't expect anything great from it. 
we can see that this is such a prevalent problem that people have uh, and that even sometimes churches can have uh, that Jesus mentioned it to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2 verses 4 and 5. It says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Are we so familiar with Jesus that we fail to expect him to do anything in our life? And uh, I definitely don't want to get to that place in my life uh, that I become so familiar with Jesus and so used to uh, maybe the Bible and prayer and uh, my church family that I neglect uh, to actually have that expectation of him that, no, this is very God of God. And that I can trust in him to do great things. I can trust in him to do great things in my own life when I'm struggling with sin or when I'm struggling with fear. That I can expect great things from my God because I know that he can do it. Not only do we see familiarity with Jesus, but we can see maybe fakes with Jesus. Nazareth knew that Jesus' half-brothers didn't believe in him or follow him. Therefore, why should Nazareth believe in him or follow him? They said if the people closest to Jesus don't follow him, then why should we follow him? Uh, we can see uh, Jesus' half-brother's um, unbelief in John 7. It says, His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. And I see here that Nazareth allowed uh, Jesus' half-brother's disbelief to become their disbelief. They said, because of the actions or the beliefs or whatever of these people, we're not going to follow Jesus. So the application to us then is, in our lives, who do we allow to determine if and when we follow Jesus? Uh, do we allow maybe a person that has wronged us to determine uh, what our attitude is going to be like? If someone does us wrong, are we going to say, I'm going to have a bad attitude. I know that's not like Jesus, but I'm going to refuse to follow Jesus because of the action of this other person. Are we going to allow maybe family to determine if we follow Jesus? That uh, maybe a family member might say, oh, you know, that's really uh, foolish. That's really dumb. That's really stupid to follow Jesus and to give your life to him or maybe to give money to a church or to uh, read your Bible. Whatever the action might be, are we allowing the words and actions and attitudes of other people to determine if we follow Jesus. So I see familiarity with Jesus, fakes who don't follow Jesus, and lastly, I have in here quotations, failures. You see, Jesus had not done any miracles as of yet in Nazareth, even though he had lived there all of his life. So to the people of Nazareth, it, it might have appeared as though Jesus had failed them for 29 years, never healing their loved ones or casting out their demons. Uh, when they heard maybe in Cana of Galilee how Jesus had come through in an amazing way, they might have thought, okay, well, where was Jesus? Where was his miracles uh, when I had this need? Maybe there was someone, uh, it might have even been his half-brothers that would say, okay, we've heard of you healing people in Capernaum, or we've heard of you healing people in these other places. Why didn't you heal Joseph, or why didn't you heal this loved one that was passing away? These other people say you have the power to do it, so why didn't you do it for me? But 
You see, God's timing in ways are not our timing and not our ways. Uh, We can see this in Romans 11. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And here in this passage you have Paul talking to the Romans, and he says, The things that God thinks and the things that God does are his alone. That in our life we can want God to do something when we want him to do it, how we want him to do it. But that's not how God operates. It's not our world and God just lives in it. It's God's world and we just live in it. And not only that, but God is always good and God always has the best plan in mind for our life. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 talk about this. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts in your thoughts. You see, God is still good even when he doesn't do what we want when we want it. And this takes a lot of humility uh, just to come before God or even just to be honest with ourselves and say, hey God, I know I think I know what is best in this situation. I, I think that I have in mind the best possible scenario in which this could go. I think I know what the ultimate good is in this situation. The problem is we don't know what's ultimately good in every situation. You see, God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows every possible outcome. He knows what will bring him the most glory and what will bring his children the most good. So it takes humility on our part just to say, God, I trust that you know what's best even when I don't think it's best, that I know that you know more than I do. The question of application then comes to us and it says, will we still follow God when he does what's best, even when it's not what we wanted? Uh, Kind of a personal uh, example or anecdote of this was uh, my freshman year of college, my uh, grandma Ruby passed away. And uh, it was in October uh, three years ago now, or four years ago now. And uh, when she was um, when she was there, when she was in the hospital or in hospice, uh, obviously I prayed and I wanted God to heal her so that maybe I'd have more time with her or that she could maybe see, uh, you know, some grandchildren someday. Uh, but God had a better plan for her than I did. God had a better plan for me than I did. You see, God knew that the best possible thing for my grandmother was that she would go to heaven to be with him. And I'm very thankful that she did know Jesus as uh, her personal Savior and that uh, she had followed him uh, then for many years and had been an encouragement to a lot of people to try and follow God. Wasn't a perfect person, but she was one that deeply loved the Lord. And so God knew what was best in that situation even when I didn't think it was, even when I did not think that that was what was best. And... uh, so here's, here's the people in Nazareth saying, Jesus, we don't believe in you. Uh, we're too familiar with you. Uh, your family doesn't follow you. 
And uh, we think that there's been a failure on your part to uh, do any miracles here. And we can see some of this coming up a little bit later. Uh, but to Jesus's prophetic reading, there was the proud response of the people in Nazareth. And then there was a perfect reply from Jesus in verses 23 through 27. Jesus said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. They say, if you're really a miracle worker, what you've done in Capernaum, do here where you're from, in your hometown. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Eliseus the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Here's what Jesus basically says to them. Uh, the people of Nazareth had said, Hey Jesus, if you're really this miracle worker, do the miracles that you did in Capernaum here. Uh, we're entitled to you doing your miracles and doing your work here. We don't believe in you when you say that you have the Holy Spirit and when you say that you're here to heal the brokenhearted and to preach the gospel and to uh, give sight to the blind. We don't believe you because of all of these reasons, but we still want you to do miracles here. We don't believe in you, but do the miracles here that you've done in Capernaum. And basically, Jesus is perfect response to them was this. You're not entitled to the working of God because of your location or because of your heritage. Only a heart of faith will see God work. He says, just because you're my hometown doesn't give you a pass to having a heart of faith. He says, you don't have faith in me. You don't believe in me. Therefore, God's not going to work in this. Uh, we knew from Hebrews eleven six that it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Uh, kind of our personal application of this then is that we are not entitled to the working of God because of uh, maybe our church attendance or because of our good works. Only a heart of faith will see God work. It's not just that we show up uh, on a Sunday morning at church that makes God work in our lives. It's not just maybe a rote thing of uh, getting in maybe a habit of doing things that will have God work in our life. If we say, God, I'm not going to believe in you. I'm not going to believe that you can do anything in my life. I, I'm not going to believe in you that you can help conquer my sin. I'm not going to believe in you that you can uh, work the gospel in the life of uh, you know my loved ones or my coworkers or the people I interact with. I'm not going to believe in you for that, but I want you to bless me financially and I want you to help all of my relationships to be what they should, but I'm not going to have faith in you for any of these things. We see uh, kind of the result of this in Mark 6. It says, and he could do there in Nazareth no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. The same thing said in Matthew 13, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The question to us is, do we want the working of God without the necessary faith in God? Like I said earlier, Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I feel like way too often we can uh, 
get in this rut of expecting God's blessing without having faith in God, without exercising that faith in God. Um, trust is kind of like maybe our hearts, uh, our hearts place before God that we say, God, we trust you. And then faith a lot of times is that action of saying, hey, God, here's my action because I have trust in you. Here's my action of faith. And uh, we can see a lot of that there in James, uh, specifically James 2, uh, where it talks about faith without works is dead or it's empty. It's void of anything uh, factual or real. And uh, when we have faith in God, it's going to motivate us to action. And without that faith, without that trust in God, we can't expect the working of God. Uh, We can't say, God, we refuse to believe in you, to follow you, to obey you, but we want all the blessings that come with following and trusting and obeying you. Uh, Next, we see not only uh, Jesus's prophetic reading, not only uh, the people of Nazareth's proud response, and then Jesus's perfect reply, uh, but lastly here, we see a planned riddance in verses 28 through 30 back in Luke 4. It says, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Went his way. The people of Nazareth's response to Jesus' statement that, listen, just because you're my hometown doesn't mean that you automatically get miracles. Uh, it's this thing of they refused to believe in Jesus, but they wanted him to heal their sick. They wanted him to do these miracles that he had done in these other places. The question really for us is when Jesus doesn't say what we want him to say or do what we want him to do, do we try and get rid of him? And this was a really convicting thought to me. And I thought, okay, well, what are some ways, obviously now we can't try and throw Jesus off of a cliff like the people of Nazareth tried to do. Uh, But what are some ways that in my life I try and get rid of Jesus? And uh, some of these that I thought of are neglecting my Bible intentionally. That I say, okay, God, I'm I'm not going to read my Bible right now because I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, Maybe it's refusing to pray, saying, God, I I don't want to talk to you, so I'm going to refuse to pray. Uh, I'm just going to avoid you in that way. I'm going to get rid of you in that way. Uh, Also, we can see um, avoiding our brothers and sisters in Christ, that a lot of times when we're trying to get rid of Jesus, when we're trying to get rid of um, what he's saying, we can avoid other uh, Christians in an attempt to silence the voice of God in our life, in an attempt to get rid of him. And then finding time for everything but him. Um, It's so easy to find time for everything else in life that... Uh, We can spend hours and hours and hours watching sports, watching uh, funny YouTube videos, uh, pouring ourselves into our hobbies, uh, pouring ourselves into work, maybe even sometimes uh, something as seemingly innocent as pouring time into our families or in hanging out with friends. Uh, But in all of these things, we can sometimes be intentionally trying to get rid of the voice of Jesus by finding time for everything except Jesus. We can either trust and obey what Jesus says, or we can reject and disobey him. If we choose to reject and disobey Christ, however, we will never get to see the God that others know, love, and talk about. Um, and we can see this a few verses prior when um, when the people, uh, when Jesus is referencing what the Nazarenes uh, or the people of Nazareth would say. 
He says, you're going to tell me, physician, heal yourself. Uh, what you've done in Capernaum, do also here. They wanted to see the working of God, uh, but they were choosing to reject and disobey him. So because they rejected and disobeyed Christ, they didn't get to see the miracles that the people in Capernaum were getting to see. However, if we choose to trust and obey Christ, we will get to see the God that others know, love, and talk about. Many of the cities in that day and age uh, got to see the working of Christ because they uh, accepted Christ. Some of them for a small amount of time, others for a longer amount of time. But because of their trust and obedience in him, they got to see the miracles and the working of God. We can see what happens when a city does accept Jesus in verses 31 through 37 in Luke 4. It says, And Jesus came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and heard him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. What a different uh, description that is than Matthew 13, where it says, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Uh, he did not many mighty works because of their unbelief in that one. And then in Luke 4 in Capernaum, it says they were all amazed, speak among themselves, what a word is this, uh, with authority and power he commandeth. Uh, and it says, and the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. So that was, that was our thought for this sermon, that sometimes we can be we can hear what Jesus says. We can hear who he claims to be. We can hear what he wants to do in our life. And we can simply say, I don't want to hear it. And we can try and get rid of Jesus through all these different ways. But we need to have a heart that when Jesus says something, we need to have trust in him and we need to obey him and we need to follow him. So what will you do in your life? Are you going to follow Christ are you going to follow what he says, or are you going to try and get rid of him instead? Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like more information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.